So we are going to talk about leadership this morning, and we're going to talk about it because it's something that's talked about in Scripture. It's something that you can find thousands of books. You Google and or I said this earlier, you Google Amazon. I'm like, can you Google Amazon? I don't know if you can Google Amazon, but you can Google on Amazon. How's that? We know we, yeah. There are over 60,000 titles on leadership in the book section on Amazon, 60,000. And I, I searched on Amazon for leadership books in the church, and there were over 10,000 titles. You know, and there, I'm not saying anything bad about them. There are a lot of good things out there. But this morning, we're going to turn to this book, and not that this book is an exhaustive resource on leadership. I mean, there's nothing in here about the 10 habits of a small group leader, right? We can glean that from text, and so that's why books are helpful. But this morning, we're going to look at Scripture, what Scripture has to say about leadership, because I believe all leaders everywhere, not just within the church, could, could benefit from this foundation that Scripture gives us of what leadership is and where it comes from and what leaders look like and how people become leaders, and then how should those leaders live? And so that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at what God's Word has to say about leadership. But I had to Google, right? I did Google, like quotes and things this week about leadership. And one of the, the best ones I found was from Casey Stengel. You know, he's a baseball manager. He managed the Yankees, the World Series, and, and just famous for his, for his quips, kind of like Yogi Berra. But he said the key to managing or the key to leadership is keeping those people that hate you away from the people that are still undecided. So it's like, it's true. If it weren't, you know, if it weren't fun, it's true. But I mean, it's a bit of advice for, the, for those of you in leadership, but I think we want to look a little bit deeper. But when I say leadership, I understand some of us have no problem with that because we've grown up in families that were loving. We have parents that were loving, and we've had bosses that were extremely encouraging, and we've had coaches that were mentors and examples for us. And we've had teachers that were nurturing our lives. And so when we think of good examples of leadership, we probably have a picture of a person or this person that was in our life, in our mind. We could picture that person. But there's a lot of us that have experienced poor leadership. Right? We've grown up in households where maybe things weren't as God intended them to be. And the role models that we had were not the best. And we've worked for bosses who exercise their authority and they've used their power to, to dominate people and to abuse people. And we've seen that in a lot of different places. We've seen it in the church. The church is not immune to that. And that's why we're talking about leadership this morning. You know, we can see that in the news. All you have to do is turn on the news and you see all kinds of poor examples of poor leaders everywhere from government to religion. And so every couple of years, Gallup does this poll. They ask Americans, say, well, okay, so who are the most trustworthy people in America? What professions garner the best, or the, have the highest ranking and percentage of great leaders? And so they poll Americans and they say, okay, which professions, which occupations are the most trustworthy and the most ethical? And then they publish those findings every couple of years. And they did that back in December. What occupation do you think came in number one? Yeah, right. No, you said pastors. I'm like, yeah, no, no. How I wish that were true, but no. Doctors, close, nurses. 82% of Americans would rank nurses as highly or very high in ethics and trustworthiness and honesty, nurses. This is what Christianity Today found from that survey. There are eight other 
professions that are trusted more than the local pastor, than the leadership of the church. We come in just above auto mechanics. <laughs> not saying anything about auto mechanics, okay? That's not the slam. But they say, hey, take heart. There are 13 occupations that are below you. It's like, yeah, lobbyist down there, right? <laughs> but so I, I, I wish that weren't true, but it is true, isn't it? It is true because we see in the news, we experience personally, we see people within the church that fail, that are not good examples of leaders. And so I think the criticism can be valid. While it might be sweeping, it's not indicative of every leader in the church. I think those that, that see it wonder, and I think with good reason, why? This is what Gallup showed. 1985, 67% of Americans thought pastors, leaders in the church were trustworthy. Last year, 42%. Nurses, 82%. Leaders in the church, 42%. I think it's a valid criticism, especially when you see what goes on around us. You know, we, have, we don't have very good examples everywhere of good leadership. But you know, as Americans, we don't like to be led either. You know, we're fiercely independent. It's in our Constitution. We have the right to freedom, right? It's an inalienable right. But we've sort of taken it past that too as Americans. We, we don't want just that kind of freedom. We want freedom to do whatever we want. We really want autonomy today. That's really what you hear. The freedom to do whatever it is I want to do as long as I don't really hurt anybody. It doesn't matter what the law says. It doesn't matter what anybody says. As long as it's good for me, it should be okay. And that's really what I want, autonomy. Not necessarily the freedom, but we want more. And so we don't really like to be led. We don't want people in our lives telling us what to do. And so we are going to look at leadership this morning because we do believe the Bible gives us the best picture of what a leader looks like. And so leaders, as we look along this discipleship path, you see as we begin, we invite people into the church. Jesus accepts people just where they are, loves people just the way they are because that is his creation. You are his creation. But we learn from Scripture that he loves you too much to just leave you that way. And so he works in your life and he draws you closer to him and he invites you to experience him in the church where the church is called to look more like Jesus so that Everyone gets a picture of what Jesus looks like. And he doesn't just leave us there to just see, but to explore and to ask questions and to investigate what Jesus teaches. And so that's what we do. And we encourage people to commit their lives to his mission of going and making more disciples. And last week, Pastor Dan was here and, and taught us how every one of us who have been called, who have been called into his church, who have been saved, are called to be disciples that make disciples. That was the commission that he gave his disciples, Jesus did, when he left. He said, now you go and do what I just did. Go and make disciples of all nations, not just the people that look like you, but everywhere. As you live in your workplace, in your schools, in your lives, in your neighborhoods, go and make disciples. Proclaiming the good news that God has come and he's no longer counting the sins of the world against it. And he's made a way back to himself. He's called each one of us to go and make disciples, teaching people to obey what God has commanded. But he also, within that group of people, within those disciples, he's given some the responsibility of leadership. And in our church, the way that looks is small group leader. We have leaders that lead a group of people. 
and their leaders that step up as an example. And we'll talk about that in just a minute, what that looks like. But also coaches, people that lead leaders and pastors, and we would say deacons and, or like governance board members, people in leadership. God calls people out. And I know some people say, well, wait a minute, isn't Jesus the leader of the church? Right? And if, if Jesus is your leader, you don't need anybody else. Is that right? I don't know if scripture says that, but it's a good question. So this morning, we're going to look at some text, and we're going to see what the Bible has to say. And three things I'd like to point out about this foundation that Jesus teaches is that first and foremost, leaders are disciples to begin with. They're following Jesus. We don't look outside the church. Jesus didn't look outside his group to find somebody to lead his group. No, he chose someone from within. First and foremost, they're disciples. Second, they serve. Second, they're called to serve. We see in Jesus' text, he calls people into this role of leadership. And thirdly, we see that leaders, they lead. They don't just take the title. Leaders are to lead. But how should they lead? And where do they get that authority? And we're going to look at that in just a minute. So, disciples. You see in, from the text that we've been studying, you see in Scripture, Jesus called men into himself to be his disciples. And some of those men went and called other men to come, but they brought him before Jesus, so Jesus kind of, kind of do the eye test, you know? It's like, okay, yes, would you come and follow me? But he called his disciples. And it's from that group that he called some into a closer relationship with him, some that he had called into leadership within that group of disciples. We see that clearly in, in the text. And in Mark chapter 9, verse 2, we see in this story Jesus taking Peter, James, and John, leaving the other disciples behind and going up this mount to his transfiguration. It's a story where he's brought up the mountain, and he only takes those three to be with him. And they hear this voice from heaven saying, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. And this light shines down. They say he shined brighter than the sun. And they saw Moses and Elijah walking and talking with him. They saw something. They, they, they experienced something with Jesus that none of the others experienced. And you ask the question I always ask, why? He doesn't say. It says elsewhere in text that he took those three with him in times and in places that he left the others behind. But he never says why. But we can glean from the text as we look why. He wanted them to be leaders of disciples. And he called them into a closer relationship with himself to do that. And that's the second thing that we see. He calls disciples to be leaders. He calls them. He called Peter, James, and John to come with him. He told the others to stay behind. He had this special relationship with them. He called them out. We see that because we see it later lived out in the life of the disciples. We know that when Jesus went back to heaven, they're left with a, a void. Not Jesus, but Judas, who had betrayed him and then hung himself. Now there's 11. And they say, you know what? We need to replace him. So how do they replace him? Jesus is gone. How do they replace him? Together, they, they, they investigate as to what they should do. And we read in Acts 1.20, it says, Therefore, it's necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out of, among us. The whole time Jesus was here. Beginning from the time John was baptizing. From the time we all became disciples. From that time until he went back to heaven. They were witnesses to his resurrection. They were witnesses to his ascension. 
For one of those must become a witness with us of his resurrection. And so they proposed names of two men. Joseph, called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. So you see here what they were taught. It wasn't just anyone. They didn't just turn around and say, hey, who wants to take Judas's place? No, there were conditions. There were things that they looked for, things that Jesus had told them that we see played out here. And they do it together as a group. Not just one person stood up and say, I want you. I want my best friend here. No, they did it together as a church. And they called forth this man, Matthias. They prayed. They looked for guidance from the Holy Spirit. And it fell upon Matthias to be the next disciple, the next apostle. They learned from Jesus that leaders are called. And they look for people with leadership that God has put his hand on to lead God's church. We see that. We see Paul teaching about that. He says, the reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Paul himself went to Jerusalem to sit and talk with Peter and John. Paul himself in his letters talk about the special relationship Peter and John had with Jesus. They recognized them as leaders in the church. Paul went to Jerusalem to spend time to find out what Jesus taught. And we see what, Peter, what Paul himself does. He goes around and he appoints leaders. He calls leaders forth. He doesn't just do it, but he says to the people that are in charge in the churches that he's planted, you need to do the same. You need to look around at the people in your midst and you need to call out the leaders amongst you. But we see something else here. We see something that goes on in Paul's life and we see it happen in the disciples' life. Paul leaves Crete. Right? Had Paul stayed in Crete, they would have turned to Paul and said, well, who? And he's like, no, 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 no. You, as leaders, need to take on the responsibility of calling leaders. You need to do that. That's what Jesus said to his disciples. Had he stuck around, they'd have just kept deferring to him. But he left because he said he wanted to teach them everything the Father had taught him. And that was to follow after his example. So he leaves. He says, for your good that I leave because then I'll send the Holy Spirit and he will guide you. And there's certain things that you only learn by doing. There are deeper things that you learn about God and his promises as you lead others. And there's the only way to learn those things is by doing it. Not by studying it, not by talking about it, by actually doing it. There were things that disciples only learned by leading. There were things that Paul only learned by leading, and that's what he's teaching the disciples in these towns. You'll only learn what it is. You'll only learn the responsibility of what it is to be a leader when you lead. God has something to teach you that you can only learn by leading. And there are people that he calls out in the midst of his church to do that. You know, the first time I became a manager and manager level in the tra transportation industry, I was really wanting to be a director of sales. And I got the opportunity to be a director of sales like 30. And I was like, naive and stupid and thinking, I got a new title and this is awesome. Next day, the president calls me to his office and says, now here's what I need you to do. The next week, I need you to decide which eight of your former associates you need to lay off. I was like, yeah, this is so much fun. 
There's some things about leadership that you only understand by doing it. There's some things you can appreciate only by doing it. That's what God knows. That's what, his, that's what the disciples knew. They're leaders, and you have to give them responsibility, and you have to step back. You have to step back and allow them to lead so they can learn, so they can grow and understand what's true about leadership. And what's true about leadership that you understand in the church is that we serve under the authority of God himself. The authority that leaders get in the church and the power all comes from God. It's not in here. It's not because people that are leaders possess this special power and have this like greatest relationship with Jesus more than the average guy. No, it's we're all the priesthood of all believers. There are some he's called to lead his church, and he calls them to do so under his authority. Not in their own authority, but under his authority and by his power. And you learn as you lead his people, that is the only way it works. When you try to do it the other way around, it always ends in failure. When you admire the power you've been given, the authority you've been given, oftentimes you abuse it by manipulating people for your own good, and it always ends badly. Always ends badly. We all serve at the pleasure of the king, in his kingdom, under his authority, with his power, for his purposes. That is why God has called some into leadership, was to lead his church, never forgetting he's still king. And we serve at his pleasure. And thirdly, we see that leaders do finally lead. They lead others. The disciples, you can see in these stories, didn't quite get that when he was with them. They sort of still had this like worldly picture of what leadership looked like. You know, in that same chapter in Mark 9, a little bit later, they're walking to Capernaum. And as they're walking, we see Jesus sort of like, you can sort of picture him like hearing what's going on behind him. And he turns around and says, what are you guys arguing about? And they're all like, nothing. And so they get to this house in Capernaum and he turns around to him and he says, so what are you arguing about? And they say, well, kind of sheepishly, we were trying to figure out who was greatest. We know that you're the, you're the leader, right? But we want to know, who do you like the most? Who's your favorite? <laughs> Who's the greatest among us? And Jesus says to them, he who must be first, he who wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. And you picture the disciples after that when they went somewhere and said, oh, no, you first. No, 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 you first. No, no, you first. Because they still didn't get it. We read in Mark 9, in chapter 10, they're still struggling with this. They still have this work picture of what leadership looks like in the church. And we see it because James and John, two of the inner circle, want to be ahead of Peter and ahead of the rest. And so what do they do? They bring their mom with them. And they go before Jesus, as we read in Matthew and also in Mark 10, they go to Jesus and ask Jesus, so can my sons sit on your right and left when you come into your kingdom? And when the disciples heard about it, what do you think they thought? They were indignant, it says. They were just like, seriously? You think you're better than us? 
And so Jesus hears all of this, and he calls them in, and he says, come and sit down. And this is what he said. That he said, come together. And he said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, use it for their advantage, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Not so with those of you that I have called into leadership. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus was the example of what it meant to be last of all and servant of all. Because he himself gave his life for all. And to sort of help them understand it greater, we know that night that he was betrayed from John, that when they went into the upper room, Jesus took off his outer garments and dressed as a slave, as a servant, and bent down and washed their feet. He said, you go and do likewise, by my example. Those that are leaders in God's church, by his example, are servants. And serve his church for the good of the mission of Jesus Christ for the good of the mission. And we see that they got it. When he was resurrected, when he went back into heaven and they received the Holy Spirit, they got it. That they were servants. It wasn't about who was first. That's not what leadership in the church was about. Leadership is about the mission and about getting God's mission done on earth. And God has called them to serve that mission and to serve his people. And they get it. We're servants. That's the attitude of leaders in the church. That's what he's calling leaders to be. And Paul says this. He says, not only that, but you're called to do that with the way you live. Not just as a servant, but with your life. By preaching the gospel, sharing God's good news, teaching the gospel that God made a way back to him through his son, not by the good that you have done, but by the good that he has done. He has declared you righteous by faith. It is by grace you have been saved through faith, not of works, not of anything that we've done, but only by grace so that none of us can boast that we're the greatest or that we're first. We preach the gospel all of us have been given that task. Some have been given the task of guarding that truth. But then he also says, with your lives. And not just with your life. It's not just with your words. He says he was so happy to share not only the gospel, but their lives as well. Paul gives us a picture that leaders live their lives among and with God's people. Not apart from not cloistered away, but among and with and in close proximity so that you know a leader's business. You know what they say, and now you see how they live. Do they live that way? And so as we study what God is calling leaders to be, he's speaking to leaders in these texts, and he's saying, this is what a leader needs to do. And before you take on leadership, understand that you must be a disciple and that you are called into this and that you are to lead with your life. 
But he's also saying to his church, to those that are not leaders, to those that are being led, this is what your leaders must look like. This is what your leaders should look like. You know, I, I wish so much I could stand up here and tell you that that's the way it was then, and that's not the way it is now. You know, that's different times. But that's what Jesus is saying. That's what Paul is saying. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Really, the text there says, imitate me as I become like Christ. You also. And I searched all the translations in the original language, and it's still there. I wish it weren't, but it's still there. And so as those in the church that are, are being led, that's what God says you should look to in your leaders. Not just what they say on the platform on Sunday, but how do they live their lives? And so I ask you, hold me accountable to this picture. That's what he calls you to, to hold your leaders accountable. Your small group leaders, your governance board members, the leaders in your church, God says hold them accountable to this picture so that the world doesn't have this perception that they're not trustworthy. So that we together can be about the mission of Jesus Christ. Together, giving our lives to one another. Understanding that God has called some into leadership, but we as leaders need to understand that we have been called to serve under his authority for the good of the church, for the good of the mission. And Paul says to leaders, live your life as an example. He says to a young leader, Timothy, live your life as an example before the people that you lead. Not just in what you say, but what you say is important, but in your conduct, the way you live and how you care for one another. In faith, in faith and service of the Lord, but with a purity of heart. Not just to be seen as a great leader, so people go, that guy is great. But no, to actually be the leader God is calling you to be. Because you are an example. Because people are watching. And people draw conclusions. Now understand, you watch my life, it will not be Jesus' life. There are plenty of mistakes, and I'm sure there are plenty to come. But I still serve at the pleasure of the king because he has redeemed me. He has redeemed all of us. We all are that fallen, sinful, broken person, but he calls us to join him in that mission of proclaiming that love to the world. Yeah, yeah, he didn't come to save perfect people. He came to make dead people alive. And we do follow him. He calls us to be an example. And so we teach what it means to be a leader because God is still calling people into leadership. God is tapping you on a shoulder and calling you into leadership or somebody in leadership in this church has, has been asking you numerous times, have you thought about this? Have you thought about this? And maybe you've read the scriptures and go, yeah, I thought about it. I've read about it. I'm not so sure I want to do that. But there are some things God can only teach you as you trust him, as you follow him. Great responsibility for all of us, folks, for all of us. For those that lead and those that hold leaders accountable. We do this together. And I thank God we do this together. That it's not just one individual 
or just a few, but it's all of us together to be about the mission of Jesus Christ. And we're better when we do that together in relationship with our lives, sharing our lives so that we know with integrity we can invite people here. We teach from this word. Hold us accountable to teaching from this word. And when we mess up, and if we've messed up, call us on it. Let's hold one another accountable. The mission of God is that important. We have to do those uncomfortable things for the sake of the mission. But he tells us it's a marvelous mission. It's an amazing mission that he's given us an opportunity to do that together. God calls from his disciples those to lead. He gives them his authority to lead. He calls them into that leadership. He equips them to lead. But he calls them to be servants of his church, to care for and nurture his church as he cares and nurtures for his church, and to hold one another accountable in both directions for his sake and for the sake of the church. We are to follow Jesus' example of what it means to love God. Close, I'd like to close with one of my favorite passages from Scripture. It's from Philippians chapter 2. And it gives us an awesome picture, I believe. As Paul encourages the church at Philippi and as he encourages us today to imitate Christ's humility. Paul writes, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interest, but each to the interest of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same attitude of mind Christ Jesus had, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, by being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a human being, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Amen.